is a delight <laughs> to worship with you guys and just to, you know, I, I love this time. I must say, for the two weeks when we were on paternity leave or whatever they call that, two weeks, coping week or um, finding your feet week, um, yeah, we really miss the church. It's always, um, this is feeding a little bit. Maybe put me a little bit softer. Um, whoever is on sound. It's so awkward being on AV or on sound because if there's something wrong, like the whole church looks at you. <laughs> like it's shame. Um, I must have the humility to say that I'm not going to speak about humility. Um, when, when Nika and I spoke, I, I did prepare a preach on that, but I felt um, throughout this week that that was not what the Lord wants to speak on. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to preach on that. I'm going to preach on something else. Um, but before I do that, I want to yeah, speak to Jesus about you guys, and then I want to speak to you guys about Jesus, and then we're going to take it from there. Okay. So, Father, we just trust in this moment, Lord, that you would just calm our hearts, Lord. Anything that, yeah, just, yeah, Father, I trust for any anxiety in this moment, you would come and still our hearts before you, that there will be such a sense of the closeness of Jesus in this time, that we will find you, we will see you, we will enjoy you, and ultimately, Father, that we will hear you um, and be obedient to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to speak about um, a story in the Bible, Zacchaeus. And many people um, is very familiar with this story, and um, we've even done a Bible study, I think, with Karan Heinrichskom once on Zacchaeus. I, I think it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I just want us to read it together and unpack it a little bit um, together tonight. So let's read. You can open your Bibles at Luke 19. Uh, there's Bibles in front of you, or your phone, or on the board. Verse 1 to 10, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, also called a sinner, and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down, and at once he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw, saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Hectic. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. There was one somebody that said that, the, that Christianity can actually be summed up in that verse. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But I think many of us get stuck on this thing of salvation of a, as a one-day event, that we get saved 
and then we are part of this Christian club. And when we refer to salvation, we refer back to that moment that you responded. But I think we need to bring a correction that that is the moment your journey started, but then you are saved, then you are being saved, and on that last day you will be fully saved when Jesus comes back for a pure and spotless bride. Otherwise, we have this warped perception of what Christianity is, that it's only a one-day event, that I am saved, and then I can just carry on. But there's something of God wanting to restore us back to what He intended each one of us to be. Amen. So, let me just get my notes ready here. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says the following, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or, or the lady of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if we look at this portion of Scripture, God is saying that this is breathed out by me, and we need to approach the Scripture likewise and say, God, what do you want to teach me tonight? What do you want to maybe correct in me or reprove in me? What do you want to come and do and exhort me in this evening? And I trust that as we look through this portion of scripture that there will be a sense of just a leap in your heart and say, this is what God is busy doing in my heart. Or maybe God wants to come and um, just tug in the area again and awaken something within us. And then, hallelujah, let's respond to that. So I'm going to look at three areas tonight. Pulling, positioning, and paying. There is many other things that we can draw from this portion of scripture, that is just the three that I thought has peas with it, and I thought it, it, it fits into a preach, and then I created that thing, okay, because people remember it easier. Firstly is pulling. Let's read verse 5 and 6 again together of Matthew 19, verse 5 and 6. And when Jesus came to the place or the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus is pulling Zacchaeus closer in this moment. That there's something of an extending of an invitation that Jesus is doing to Zacchaeus and saying, I must stay at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus responded in a positive way to say, oh yeah, <laughs> we're going to have a dinner party or something at his place. And he prepared the house and he dined and had fellowship because he responded to an invitation from Jesus. If we look at the gospels, this is not a once-off event. Jesus is continually throughout the ages, because Jesus is the same from the beginning to the end. We sang the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we find even in Genesis in the beginning that God was the first one to send the invitation to Adam and Eve. Where are you? They sinned. And he said, where are you guys? And they were hiding away, but Jesus was extending the invitation when it came to the whole world messing up, and to a large extent, God wants to wipe out the whole world, once again, God took the initiative to say, I will, will, will find a man with the name of Noah, and build an ark, and extend the invitation, say, Noah, there's hope. 
And I believe all through, if you look throughout history, throughout the Gospels, all the way through the New Testament, there was always an invitation extended because I believe that's the heart of Jesus. We find there's a scripture in Luke 15, 4 that speaks about um, a shepherd. And the heart of the shepherd was that he would leave the 99 to go find the one. And I believe till today, that heart of Jesus is exactly the same. That he's still extending invitations. He's still pulling people forward. And even tonight, he's still extending an invitation to your heart. And I think many times we come to a church service, we sit in a group like that, this, and there's a preach going out, and he's like, yeah, maybe speaking to this guy next to me, or this lady on this side. But I think the heart of Jesus is always for everyone, but it's always for you. Always, always for everyone, always for you. And we need to see it that way, that Jesus is calling each one of us and pulling us. I believe it displays something of his deep love, compassion. His kindness leads us to repentance. Sometimes we, in a sense, elevate certain characteristics of him. But when last did you experience the kindness of God? Even if we spoke about or sang about the blood of Jesus, joy rose up in my heart. I'm like, how kind was our God to stand in our place? And joy came in my heart. I, I can't stop smiling. Oh, Jesus, you're amazing. Is that something that happens in your heart when you see the true invitation of Jesus? Secondly, I want to say, was this encounter with Zacchaeus a coincidence? Because I think not. Because we find in verse 1 something, to a large extent, quite disturbing. Um, because Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He was not about to walk to that tree and have a dinner party that night. He was passing through. You see that? The scriptures very deliberately to put that in because he was on a mission. He was going somewhere. But I found in the... Oh, you are amazing. I thought I was like attacking me. Um, but we find in scripture all over the place this thing of the intentionality of God. That he is extremely intentional to the point that he says things like this. I only do what I see my father is doing. I only do what I see God is busy doing. He reacts and responds that when God says something, he does it. How amazing is our God that as he was walking through Jericho, he was passing through, he responded to the voice of God because God said, Jesus, there's a man. There is a man that I want you to pull close. There is a, there's a lady in this, in this space that I want to pull close. There's somebody sitting here tonight. I want to dine with them tonight. The intentionality of God. But not only that, because people can be very intentional. I'm intentional with a preach now to speak to a big crowd, but he was personal as well. What was the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth when he approached that tree? He said, Zacchaeus. Just a fun fact. Who told him his name was Zacchaeus? Really? Who told him? It's like walking to that tree. Who's that guy sitting in the tree? Who told Jesus that name, his name was Zacchaeus? He was responding and he knew him by name. Jesus knows you by name. But nobody knows what Zacchaeus' name actually means. But it means innocent and pure. 
And when Jesus approached that tree, now I want to cry. <laughs> the first thing that he wanted Zacchaeus to know is not say repent of your sins, but he spoke something over him and said, you are pure. You are innocent. I call you back by name. And only Jesus can bring that sort of invitation that say, I come and fetch you just the way you are. You don't stay that way. We'll see later in the story. But where I found you, in your mess, because he was a tax collector. He was hated by the people around him. He defrauded many people. But Jesus was speaking a personal word over him. Lastly, I want to say in verse 5, we also read that what Jesus asked of him was to go to his house. Jesus didn't ask him just to merely come and believe, but he said, there's something intimate that I want with you. There's something of a relationship. There's something of a, of a, of a meal. There's something of fellowship that I want with you. And I think sometimes we miss it with God. That we think the way that God wants us to respond in obedience is to sit in a building. That is the cookie-cut Christian expression of following God. I want to say tonight that there is more to following God. There is a deep, intimate fellowship. There is something when God pulls us closer because we have access by the blood of the Lamb that our heart leaps and says, that just feels right. We need to see that there is more. Are you guys okay? I don't expect it to be this heavy. It's like, it's like thank you. I'm going to start to speak different, like the heart. God is touching our hearts tonight. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's so important, this stuff, guys. I think we, we miss it so, so easily that we get this cookie-cut Christianity and we do the right things and we, we say the right things. And Nico spoke about Christianese and we even say the right things or we, we worship the right way and our expression is right, but our hearts are far. And I really believe this is not a message only for those that do not know Jesus yet. This is something for each one of us that he wants to pull us closer. He wants to pull us closer again. Amen. Taking too long. Next one, positioning. And I want to read something that I got in an article. It was a great article. Zacchaeus may have been a little man, but he modeled this big reality by positioning himself along the path of grace. He couldn't force Jesus' hand. He couldn't make grace flow, but he could put himself along the path where grace was coming. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. We can do nothing. We bring nothing to the party except our own sin. That's all we bring. And even that he takes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is we bring nothing. We can't, in a sense, force the hand of God, but we can position ourselves to see Him. We can position ourselves to see Him. And I think Zacchaeus, out of all the people in, in that moment, had an extreme amount of shortcomings. Not just physically. He had physical shortcomings as well. Okay. Yeah. It's not funny, guys. There's really short people in this whole... Um, I am extremely average, um, and there's other people that's like Bernard, that's like extremely other way average. But Zacchaeus was short. He had actually an opposition or, or obstacle to see God, 
there was really something of a shortcoming in that moment that he couldn't see God properly because of this physical thing. But I think for, for us sitting here, there's so many things in life like finances, like our studies, like our future, like busyness, like things around us that is like roadblocks and shortcomings that, in a sense, blinds us or blurs our vision to see properly. I can just imagine this guy coming in this crowd and looking and jumping on his buddy's back. No, he, he didn't have buddies. He was a tax collector. He didn't, sorry, he did, even that was, yeah, he didn't have buddies. But there was something of him that he just wanted to see this man. He just wanted to see this man. But even then, then he gets this one-way invitation to a meal. It's like with, with God. Amazing. And then people start to look at him and like start to complain. How can Jesus sit with this guy? And I could just imagine in that moment how he must have felt. And for many of you, when you start to follow Jesus, people would look at you like, oh, you're one of those. I had that. When I started to follow God full on, gave my life to Him and dedicated my, my life to Him, um, I was 17 years old. But then I went into matric, a Christian. That's where all the parties happen is matric. I lost so many friends because I didn't, it didn't sit right with me anymore. And people say, yeah, let's not, let's not invite him anymore. He will anyway say no. And there was something of just a pointing of the finger and shortcomings in that moment. I could think that Zacchaeus felt shame, deep shame. Or there was at least the possibility of that. There must have been the thought of not being worthy. This is a sinner. People are going against him even for sitting with this great teacher. Shame or unworthiness must have come over him at that moment. Feeling guilty. How many times don't you sit in a room like this and feel guilty? It just feels like you tripped and fell in mud and now you need to climb in the bed. It doesn't feel right. Just that sticky feeling of guilt that sticks on us. And I think even fear, there must have been a sense of the fear of man in that moment for him. And I'm reading into the scripture a little bit, but I can just imagine if I put myself in his shoes, there must have been so much opposition. But I wrote here, the gospel or the good news of Jesus is based on an invitation and not our ability to host Jesus by our works. Meaning, meaning. What we have to bring to the table is not how good we are. Is not how well we can prepare the table and now we are worthy enough for Jesus to come close. But we are able to come close and he didn't need to feel shame because he said, I didn't invite him, he invited me. It was based on his invitation, not on his ability to prove that now Jesus can come in. He, does, he didn't need to feel unworthy because Jesus called him even though he wasn't worthy. Once again, it was based on the invitation. And for each one of us here, are you building your Christianity on what you can bring to the table? Or what Christ has already done for us? Because many of us, and myself, live in a way that I first need to have a good quiet time. I need to feel ready to jump up and down. Then I'm close with Jesus. And if I didn't have a good week, I sit more to the back of the church. It's true. I was that guy. 
I didn't feel, I did, maybe I watched porn this week. Maybe I did something with my girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe I said something that I shouldn't have said. Maybe I had a fight with my parents. And just guilt grips you and we move away, even physically. And once again, it's a roadblock. Positioning yourself. And I want to ask, how are you positioning yourself to see? I want to pray for us as I go into the following things because I, this, this feels heavy. Are you guys okay? Is this fine? This feels so weighty. But I do believe God wants to come and shift a little bit of, yeah, just how we see Him. There's something that we need to come close. We can't stay away the whole time. I don't think Jesus intended for us just to be at arm's length, just to be in His house, but you're actually like an Airbnb guest. We're in the same house, but you, you in that room and I'm over there. It's not that. We're part of the family. Jesus wants to pull us closer again. Father, I pray in this moment, as we're going to speak about roadblocks, things that hinder us from seeing you. Father, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may not only, to a large extent, listen to these things, but we will hear it, God. Father, we, we know these things, even if I'm going to mention it, God. We know this. Father, I trust that you would come and do something in my heart, in our hearts, that we will not live a Christianity at arm's length from you, but come close. Amen. So what is the things that keeps us or hinders us? And I'm going to go a little bit quicker here. Hinders us from seeing these shortcomings. Myself and Brigitte sat with this list. I asked some of the com leaders that I oversee, like, guys, what hinders you guys from, or what hinders us from not seeing God? One of the things that came out is worldly pursuits, meaning things that come in the way that just to a large extent blurs a little bit the vision of seeing, of seeing Jesus. It's things that just appears good, but it just sticks its head a little bit in front of Jesus just takes a little bit more priority. And that thing starts to slowly, but to a large extent, quickly grip our hearts and grip our eyes to not see Christ anymore. Things like, I don't know why I start with this one, but it's probably something big for me, is leadership. The need to be seen and lead people and to influence. And I know there's the gift of leadership, but I've seen so many people in a sense, in an ambitious way, want to grab onto this thing, to be seen, to be the one. And later on, you standing there, spotlight on you, and Jesus standing there to the side and saying, spotlight needs to be on me, needs to be on me. Even in a, in a worldly sense, that we grab hold of leadership positions, and, and I'm not putting it down, of in raises or in, in, in a work situation or things like that. I'm not putting it down. But I think if that thing grips your heart above the body of Christ and above God himself, it's an idol. It's something that's grabbing our intention, our studies and our work. One day we will get a degree, but the provision of your life is not based on a degree. You're going to be successful one day might be on your own ability, but provision needs to come from the Lord. You will never see God as your provider 
if the backbone is always going to be I lean back into my degree. And I'm not saying degrees is wrong. I'm not saying work is wrong. I work. I have a degree. Hallelujah. Nooit gedink het gaan kom But there is a sense that we lean and depend on certain things rather than lean and depend on Christ. It can even be our family one day. Many of you might get married, the gift of marriage. But that thing can be an idol. God says, if I do not provide for Brigitte and Mia, I'm worse than an unbeliever. It's the Bible. But then also Jesus in the same breath says, if you love your father and mother more than me, you cannot be my disciple. And there's a balance that we need to find that I need to give myself to my family, but primarily for Christ. I'm a better man if I give myself to Christ firstly. And the outflow of that, the idol of dating could grip a heart so quickly. The one verse for about three or four years from that was 17 to the time of 22-ish was the following. Do not awaken love before it's time. It's such a powerful scripture because marriage and dating and all of those things is a gift according to the scripture. If we grab hold of a gift, it's no longer a gift. And it also means we don't trust the giver of that gift. And we step out of bounds. Let's trust God. And even with our future, we need to go a little bit quicker. Another roadblock can actually be a wrong view of God. That we see Him as this hard taskmaster. And every time you come to Him is to say, sorry, and I'll do better. Maybe your quiet times is, God, tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll have a quiet time. Tomorrow I'll, 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 I'll leave that thing. And there's something in us that the whole time we feel like it's Coach Jesus. God, I'll do better. I'll just be better next week. I'll just. And this is self improvement gospel, and we have a wrong view of God. Yes, He makes us better, but it starts off by coming just the way we are by the blood. Maybe ignorance is a roadblock that we just don't know this more. Maybe for some of us sitting here, we thought a charismatic church is like the pinnacle. Of Christianity. They even clap hands and come to the front on a red carpet. It's like, <laughs> we didn't put this in here, guys. It's not ours. Um, but there is something that we think that this is what it is. I want to say this is not closely, closely to what we can have in Christ Jesus. There's so much more, and we shouldn't be ignorant of that and say, yeah, this is nice. I don't want to settle for nice in this life. Life is too short just to have a good life. Yes, see, that might be boring. You had a great life, a good life, a safe life. I want to have a wild life. I want to have an obedient life. I want to have a life full of faith. I want to be poured out. I want to be sweating blood as I fall over the finish line because I ran for Jesus. I don't want to sit just... And filling a pew, and oh, that pew was so warm when I left there. I want my heart burning when I met with him. Insecurities can keep us. What will other people think of me? And then distractions. Fill in the blanks, whatever the distractions are. Psalm 27.4 says the following. One thing I've asked of the Lord. One thing that I will seek after 
that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Zacchaeus climbed a tree so that he can see Jesus. To what extent will you go to see Jesus? We can never say, we will never be able to say on that last day, but. We won't be able to say that. But my studies, Lord. But my family, God. But my shortcomings. Each one of us, if we're very truthful to our heart, will know that we did, especially in this context, could live for God for flat out. Let's see God and position ourselves well. Amen. Let's end off with the following. Paying. There was a price to be paid. There's a false gospel out there that speaks about Jesus as a servant. And that is true. That's very true. But it is a me gospel that Jesus only exists for my pleasure. I do not exist for him, but he exists for me. That when I come into the church, Jesus is already waiting there with a warm bucket of water, a massive towel on his knees for me, so that I can sit back and let God wash me and my feet. And I know Jesus did that, but sometimes the hard posture we, t- takes, we take is like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that you are here. Just come and do what you need to do. And sometimes it's in a prideful way that it's all about us. What can I get out of this service? What can I get ab- out about worship? I didn't like worship tonight. I didn't like that song. I didn't like that. It's okay. It's never for you anyway. Never for you. It was for Jesus. Who cares what you think about worship? Who cares what we think about the preach? It's about what Christ expects of us. We shouldn't crit Jesus or crit a church service. It's about a heart connected. It's about coming to Christ and say, God, come and do something in me. There's a guy named... Dietrich Bonhoeffer, oh my hat, I think he's a Dutch guy. He said, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids, he comes and dies. Luke 14, 27 and 53 says, this is true. Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. To be... A disciple of Jesus is costly, definitely, definitely. It's even hard sometimes. It is, it's empowering by the Spirit, but it is hard. But I want to say, what is the cost of non-discipleship? What is the cost of not following Him? We know there's a cost in following Him, but have you ever considered and weighed up what it means to not follow Him? And I want to end off with the following we have the story of Zacchaeus, and we knew, we knew how we responded to Jesus by giving away half of everything. And then the other half that he had left, he repaid four times the people that he defrauded. He didn't have a lot left, but he gained Christ. Then this was this other, there's this other guy in the scripture called the rich young ruler, the rich young man. It's about this man that comes to Jesus And the way that he comes to Jesus is, he comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees. As he's on his knees, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Just put yourself in the shoes of Jesus at that moment. If you are walking in Stellenbosch, somebody comes fall on their knees before you and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yes, see, I would say, stand up, brother. Let me lead you to Jesus. I would explain the gospel to him. I would lead him to Christ. I will, I will tell him all about Jesus. I would maybe give him a, a little invitation card. Come to Josh Jane. Meet 6 p.m. that time. Cross Fat Butcher next to the Botanical Gardens. We have this thing called home cells or, or communities, we call it. And the way we call it communities or why is because we are family. We want to be a community. Jesus didn't do that. That's the way that I, I would have done that. Just out, I would have done that. But Jesus looked at this man with love, with love, but he saw something was wrong. Something wasn't right here. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. We find in verse 13 that this man was devastated. He's like, what? Sell everything and follow you? And he was counting the cost. He was cal calculating, calculating, calculating. The result actually was that he walked away, sorrowful because the cost of discipleship was too high. But let's quickly just assess, what is the cost of him not accepting Jesus in that moment? What is the cost of not accepting the invitation to come close? And I'm ending with this. He lost the forgiveness of all his sins and the reconciliation with the Father. He lost the joy of having fellowship with the Father and the Son. He lost the empowering presence and joy of the Holy Spirit. He lost the profound signs and wonders and joy and strength and comfort of being a part of Christ's body, the church, and the everlasting fellowship of the saints. He lost the provision of God, sufficient grace for every need. He lost the privilege of participating in the destruction of the devil's work. He lost the unspeakable joy of having every precious and every great promise of God found a yes for him in Jesus. He lost the triumphant joy of seeing others delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the domain of light, dominion of light. He lost the abundant life Jesus would have given him. He lost eternal joy. He walked away from the heavenly treasure of eternal life God. An inheritance so great that the worst suffering of this age is light and is momentary by comparison. Ultimately, he lost God and chose money over God. He chose spiritual poverty, and he chose hell. That is the end result of the cost of not choosing Christ. For wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I think there's something of treasures that God is highlighting this evening. Treasures. And I think I put it on my status earlier. The way that we weigh up the cost of following Jesus is we take what the worth of Jesus and we take our earthly treasures 
and we say, does it match up? Does it match up? And we make the decision to follow him based on that. And I believe God is coming to us this evening and saying, I'm pulling you closer. There's a deep invitation for intimacy, for fellowship, for love, for compassion, for kindness. There's one thing that I looked across this room and I, and I was thinking, must I say it? In worship, there wasn't a lot of smiling tonight. There wasn't a lot of smiling. We sang happy days. It didn't look always like happy days. <laughs> I know it's sometimes difficult to follow Christ. But ultimately, when we see him for who he is, there's something of a joy in our heart to say, oh, beautiful one, great God, magnificent King, eternal, eternal God that has always been the same, consistent throughout the ages. I always say God has a great CV. He has a great track record. And then as we see this invitation, are we positioning ourselves right in the path of grace? I wonder, I've had many times where I've, my life has been changed in many settings. But I always ask the question, what if I missed that one church meeting? And I, obviously, we, we, life happens and we miss sometimes. Or what if I missed that one prayer meeting, that one quiet time, that one time he spoke, that one time when I was called out, that one time when he changed my life, that one time, are we positioning ourselves to find Jesus more and more every day? And then lastly, there is a paying involved, there is a giving up of certain things, but there's a greater cost in not following him, way greater cost. And in view of exams coming and in view of holiday coming, it is going to be difficult. It's going to be worth it. Amen? I want to pray for us and I believe tonight, I don't want us to respond um, by coming to the front and things like that. But ultimately, I want us to re-look at our treasures and what I'm, gonna, what I'm gonna do is I'm firstly gonna extend the invitation, and ultimately I believe it's Christ extending the invitation for anyone that has never opened the letter to actually accept Jesus Christ. Like the rich young ruler, Jesus came and gave him an invitation. But secondly, the, the other response is gonna be you and God and say, God, I'm coming before you tonight. Each one of you and myself assessing my heart and saying, God, how can I position myself before you? Would you come and do a deep work in my heart? Amen. Let's pray. Maybe let's stand together, everyone. <clears throat> Maybe I've got to come to the front. Let's just take a moment of all the eyes closed. Father, this whole week I've had that song in my heart. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to sing right at you. God, I don't want to have a Christianity. We don't want to have a Christianity, Father, that is an abstract concept of a God. Living in the Airbnb, but not having fellowship. 
Father, I thank you that throughout the ages, your heart has always been closeness, intimacy, love. Yes, strange. Yes, paying. But initially, it's his kindness that draws us. And I trust even tonight that although there was very direct things said, that you will recognize the voice of Jesus is him standing with a smile in front of you. The kind one, the fullness of joy standing in front of you and extending an invitation and say, come my boyki, come my girl. I want closeness. I want closeness again. And maybe some of us has lost that. Maybe when roadblocks came to life, and it will happen, each one of us, our wheel alignment is off. Every now and then we need to go to the mechanic and say, fix, please. I'm continually drifting. I'm continually finding myself drifting away. And we need to position ourselves back to that place and say, God, God, I'm here. I'm here. Not based on my own works, not based on that I did the right things, but based on the blood of the Lamb on what you have done. Not because I'm worthy, not because I'm good, but because you are worthy and you are good and you invite. So firstly, I want to ask, with all the eyes closed, I really don't want to be the guy over the mic calling certain things. I want each one of us to do business with God I think we hear enough preachers, but we need to hear his voice through a voice. But we do need to hear his voice. But I want to ask if you have even listened tonight. I want to say Jesus is inviting you and extending invitation. Maybe you are visiting here this evening. Maybe a friend called you and said, hey, don't you want to join tonight? Maybe you've had a relationship with Jesus, but you know where you are now. You're far away from him. I want to say, at this very moment, Jesus is leaving the 99 and say, Whoa, you guys, I'm running after this one. He's intentional and he's personal in this moment. And that's why I'm not wanting to rush this even. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, we will be saved. But there is a confessing, a confessing with our mouths. There's a, there's a, a, a public declaration in saying, I want to respond to the invitation of Christ. So if you're here and you are seeing the invitation, you're seeing the letter, you're seeing his hand and saying, come, come closer. And you've never responded to that call. I would love to pray for you, but I need to see who you are. If that's you, would you just indicate to me so that we can pray together? I don't want to put you on the spot in any way, shape, or form. Is there anyone like that? I want to respond to the call. Thank you. Anyone else? Amazing. The invitation is there. Is there anyone else?
I don't know why I need to linger this. Is there anyone that needs to respond to Christ? Great. I want to ask Victor just to stand with him and yeah, maybe just pray together some other leaders as well. But I want each one of us to focus on God. We're going to celebrate Him like crazy just now. <laughs> there was great, great, great joy. There's great joy in the house when one sinner comes to repentance. And a lot of smiling. <laughs> a lot of smiling. But for the rest of us, if there's something in your heart, if there's a roadblock, if there's something that is just like, God, I miss that closeness. I miss that intimacy. I miss those times where I used to worship with you and I just cried before you. And there was just that closeness. I miss those times. I want to ask you and call you to repentance and saying, God, sorry. Because he's always extending the invitation. It's our hearts that drift. It's not him. He is the constant one. We are the inconsistent ones. God, in this moment, we repent. We spoke about repentance last week, God, that repentance is us not only turning from our old ways, but returning back towards you and saying, here we are, God. Here we are, God. Restore fellowship again. It says that if we live in the light, we have fellowship again with one another and with God. Bring those things to light and let's just take a minute or two and pray to Jesus. You speak to God and say, God, this thing, I'm sorry. Really, God, I'm sorry. Come and work it, work it, massage it, pull it out of my life. I want to position myself to, tonight to see Christ, to behold Jesus. And maybe for some of you, it might not be to sell half of your possessions and to restore four times the amount back. But maybe for some of us, there, there is that thing, that thing in your life that might have always held you back from following Him. Once again, bring it to Him. Bring it to Him. I even feel in this moment... Some of you, the thing you're holding on is hurt. Is hurt. And that thing is creating a barrier between you and God because you're looking at Jesus and you're saying, why? Why, Jesus? I want to say Jesus is able to relate to you, according to Scripture, in every way possible. That the way He suffered, the way He was betrayed, the way he went through everything is like, is, is like ours. He, ex he had extreme pain like we did. He had extreme betrayal like we did. Like Andrew mentioned the other day, he actually went through a divorce as well. He knows divorce from his own people. He divorced Israel at a time. But was still faithful to Judah. He knows the pain of people running away. Maybe the hurt you need to lay down and say, God, oh, this thing, this thing is keeping me from closeness.
And Father, I want to pray for every one of us, and I'm ending with this, Father, that we will be known as a body that knows the kindness of our God. <laughs> that when we look at Jesus, although holy, although holy, we know you are holy, God. We know that part of you, Lord. We know we need to change. We know we need to, to a large extent, become more like you and be, in a, in a large extent, better by, by your work in us, God. I do trust that we will know the smile of our God. We will know that fellowship again. Father, when we pray to you, we don't want to pray to the roof. We want to know that you are close. Father, restore deep fellowship again to this house. Father, we don't just want a Christianity that is a far-off thing. Restore back fellowship. Father, that we will bubble walking out here and, and speak to one and say, what did God do in your life? What did God challenge in your life? What, did, what, what is He doing in you? What is He saying to you? Where is He leading you? Where is he convicting you? What, what is he showing of, of himself to you? That there will be something of that heart in us that we're just bubbling with like holy gossip. We need to speak about God. We need to proclaim his goodness. We need to see him. We need to go beyond um, trees and shortcomings and things that keeps us away. Back to fellowship. Lord, I ask for that. In my own life, Lord, I ask for that, God. In Jesus' name, position us along the path of grace. Amen and amen.